passion, drive, and patience. What brings home the winning trophy is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors is everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. From superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED lights, and more, whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to turn your car into the MVP and bring home that win. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Welcome to Rewind to Dynamite. It is John Pollock and Wei Ting with you moments after tonight's edition of Dynamite from the Prudential Center in Newark, New Jersey. How are you, Wei? I'm doing I'm doing better. Yeah. Well, that's great news. I know everyone mm-hmm. wants everyone wants an update. How how are you? You're you're on the recovery? I'm feeling much better, and I hope my voice indicates that. Um, yeah, I would say probably Monday or at least maybe even earlier than that was sort of the worst of it, and I've just been getting slowly better ever since. So I think I'm doing fine, and the family any, is as well. Any uh, advice you have for, for people that maybe have to go through this themselves? Do you, Have you got any COVID hmm. tips from your first experience? First time, long time. Try your best to sleep a lot. That's that certainly helped me, you know, Um for any kind of illness, dude, sleep yeah. is very underrated. And sometimes it's like you can get on all the medicine you want or try to sleep is great. Sleep is really great when you're sick. It's fantastic. Absolutely. It's great in general, actually. I'd recommend it. So uh, Wrestle Kingdom starts in about <laughs> three hours. So uh, what what is your sleep going to look like? Uh, what Do you have a schedule mapped out for the next uh 12 hours i didn't realize the show started so early for us i i, I mean 1 30 a.m is is when the show starts that's uh, the rambo the rambo yeah so I, if i have enough energy i might just stick it through you know until i i can't and then pick up sometime tomorrow yeah, how about you i i um that that rambo at 1 30 i'm i'm sorry i just i i it will destroy me if i if i stay up all night and, and watch this thing so i uh I don't know. It's it's going to be a game time decision. I'll see how I feel after after this particular show. I usually go to bed around one, so mm-hmm. we'll see. We will be uh, live actually tomorrow in the Post Wrestling Cafe, reviewing the show at three p.m. Eastern. So plenty of time for those of you who um, maybe some of you choosing to to stay at home from work, okay, to watch. It's Wrestle Kingdom game. Day. It's a day to take off work if ever there. Just was. tell your boss, hey, I'm staying at home to watch Wrestle Kingdom. They will understand. It's once and a year. Kids are January home from school. Point. I mean. Exactly. They they gear the whole school year around Wrestle Kingdom. Yeah. Are we we will be live for let's Cafe. go live? Yeah, why okay. not? You know, uh, because uh, we're, we're we were going to record this anyway at three o'clock Eastern time with Bruce Lord. So why not make it uh, live for all Post Wrestling Cafe patrons? Three p.m. Eastern time. PostWrestlingCafe.com and available in archive, of course. After that, if you're watching on a delay. Look at Way proclaiming the main event here. I mean, it is a uh, that's a bold move. Way it is the main event. I it, mean, it, it it will. 
be the main event. We know the match order already. Yes, that that we do. So we will see how uh, how post New Year's Eve Sonata performs on uh, at the Tokido. Maybe the most interesting part about Sonata throughout this title reign uh, <laughs> is the last uh, four days and uh, Keiji Muto building him up. So yes, three Eastern will be live and will also be live this coming Sunday night at eight PM Eastern time for our best and worst of 2023 show. Joined by Braden Harrington and Davey Portman. The four of us will go through all of our picks in 21 different categories that are listed up on the forum and in today's news update. So if you want to follow along live with our picks, that is exclusive to members at postwrestlingcafe.com at all levels this Sunday night at 8 Eastern. The show will be released after the fact on the free feed, but all the fun is going to be live when Braden says something um, that we're going to have to edit out. So if you if you want to catch that, tune in mm-hmm. this Sunday night. Uh, just so everybody is reminded about the categories, again, they are posted up at forum.postwrestling.com. Our categories are best wrestler, female, best tag team, best wrestler, male, best feud, worst feud, best non-wrestling media, most improved, biggest setback, best on the mic, worst on the mic, best character, worst character, best weekly TV show, best pay-per-view, worst pay-per-view, best promotion, worst promotion, match of the year, worst match of the year, biggest story of the year, and a write-in from Davey Portman, best entrance of the year as well this year. Does Muggin win that? Um, I don't know about best. Oh, <laughs> man. We're not doing a worse of. Oh, for is, that category. is that your write-in category? <laughs> Tune in Sunday night to see who wins best entrance. Uh, looking forward to that. Um, looking forward to actually uh, making a list. I, I, I'm, I'm very behind on things, you know? Yeah. I'm almost done book one for the year. I, it's amazing, dude. Like, I don't know how. how I wanted to give a shout out here uh, from, from John Cosper. Three days. And Inimitable June Byers, which is going to be our next wrestling movie that we will get to tackle because there is a June Byers movie coming out. Camille, um, right? Featuring Camille from, from the NWA. So um, we'll have another uh, wrestling movie to, to review at some point when that comes out. Mm-hmm. It was going to be Charlotte. Charlotte Flair was going to be in the movie, but plans changed. Yes. <laughs> All right. We are going to get into some news items. We don't have too deep of a news pack here. And then we will go over the matches for Wrestle Kingdom that uh, mainly for those that are tuning in live here, because for most people listening to this the next day, that will be over by then. But let's go. Uh, first, we're going to lead off with, with the raw numbers from Monday night. And they got a really big bump. Thanks to Dwayne The Rock Johnson. When you throw this guy out for, for 22 minutes, it's going to have a positive impact. On, on your quarter and show overall. And this was hardly an easy night for the company. They were going against the Rose Bowl that did over 27 million viewers altogether. And then that was followed by the Sugar Bowl that not as much as the Rose Bowl, but still 18.6 million people across ESPN's platform. So these games were on back-to-back. And the fact that Raw... Um, not only held up, it was its best number since November 27th, which was the return of CM Punk and Randy Orton after the Survivor Series. So this week's show, 1,751,000 viewers, 0.60 in the 18 to 49 demographic. Um, so uh, they were up across the board. And the peak quarter featured Jinder Mahal in, I mean, his his Hall of Fame candidacy begins with this segment, uh, along with Dwayne Johnson. Uh, peaking between 10 and 10.15 Eastern with 2,154,000 viewers and over a million in the 18 to 49 demo. Now, after that, 
um, we wondered what is what is the next quarter going to look like? And unfortunately, the, the women's tag was in that unfortunate time uh, quarter and uh, fell 27 percent. What was interesting, the final 15 minutes of the show got a nice boost for the ending of Seth Rollins and Drew McIntyre. Like they got up to one point eight million viewers, which is exceptional for that particular segment of the show like usually the third hour the main event um you are not hitting 1.8 million and it's not just the Dwayne Johnson effect because the numbers went down and then they rose up uh, not to the rock levels but they were still up from the middle of hour number three so I would state that Rollins and Drew there was um uh, you would be very happy with how those two performed in in the quarter but uh, it was a great number for Raw to kick off the year and you've got CM Punk next week. They, they've got the college football championships next week. So that's a big game. And the following week, they're up against a NFL wildcard playoff game. So th- those are two big audience, especially January 15th. And then no more football as of uh, the following week, which is the go-home show for the Royal Rumble. Um, but they're, as we talked about Monday, way like wh- when you throw out football, it's likely going to be a very big WrestleMania season, and I can see them doing some really big numbers. And this also correlated with Canada. They did a, a huge number in Canada, their highest also since the Raw after Survivor Series. So when are we going to see Jinder next, I suppose, is, is the big question. Oh, man. Are they going to do the same thing with Austin Theory where he comes out and takes credit for the quarter? I think he should, especially, especially if I, yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, I, I found it very interesting how CM Punk, um, we know, was backstage on Monday and they chose not to use him whatsoever. Um, and clearly they see a value. Didn't need him for this Monday, especially well, if he wasn't advertised. Absolutely. But um, I would say that they also see a value in maybe um, less is more with with something like this and with something like Dwayne Johnson as well. If they do have him for the duration of this WrestleMania season, how are they going to play their cards so that everybody still feels as fresh as possible, you know, for for the next several months? Uh, It's a wonderful position for them to be in. And especially if all of those cards are being used on Raw. It's one thing WWE, they were always great at building to that huge show, whether it's going to a new network or building up one of their homecoming shows, but not really leaving a whole lot for people to come back the next week. And you'd always Mm -hmm. get the precipitous drop. And obviously like you can't do the rock every week, but you know, had you thrown punk out this week, would you have meant a little less more next week instead of now it's been a few weeks since you've heard from punk and it's, there's still that specialness factor of just a CM punk appearance that eventually that will go away. But it hasn't yet. So let's make these appearances meaningful. And now next week, you know, you're against this big college football championship and you do have something in CM Punk for next week as well, along with whatever momentum they're they're riding, which is notable as well. So there you have it. And then SmackDown on Friday, they've got Roman Reigns on the show. Logan Paul's on the show. We're going to get Santos Escobar against Kevin Owens and uh, and Butch's mystery partner. Who will he find? Um, take your best guess. The the next biggest mystery in pro wrestling now. Did you happen to see, since we talked about it, when uh, they shot the angle with Ridge Holland and Ilya Dragunov, did you see how they handled the follow-up on Tuesday night on NXT? I did not watch the show, but I did read about the results. Yes, Sarah Schreiber did the sit-down with Ridge Holland, and he went over the injuries that he has sustained himself and has caused to others in the ring, but they did very notably omit Big E from this storyline. So I would imagine that that was a conscious effort, probably from some of the reaction to the angle that people had. 
and obviously not wanting to make Biggie part of it, even though like you're focusing on all these injuries. It's sort of the elephant in the room that everyone is thinking of uh, during this. But I mean, trying to very much humanize this guy as somebody that, you know, and he did suffer that that brutal injury back in NXT. And they showed him, you know, with with his he had a his wife uh, was pregnant with twins when he got injured in NXT and you know, somebody that they, they are. This is certainly not a this is making him into this this baby face sympathetic figure. And I think it does come across less um, tacky than I think some people had and perhaps meaningfully or justifiably so when you've seen the company go in these directions sometimes. Um, but it does not look like they, they want to touch the Big E stuff because that probably touches a nerve with many people. I, I, I can totally understand. And I think it's a perfectly fine way of handling it. I mean, ultimately, you're trying to make the person interesting. And unfortunately, maybe one of the most in, the most interesting thing about Rich Holland's career so far is that he will forever be attached to this very unfortunate real life incident that has resulted in some really ugly moments per- personally for him and his whole family and and to you know try to embody that into whatever frustrations he might have as a into this pro wrestling character i mean i i think it's fair and i think it's it could be a good way of just simply telling a story without being maybe offensive you know to to people that um might be too sensitive to 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 real life tragedy let's stick on the nxt front because charlie dempsey had his match with katsuhiko nakajima uh, last night, and this was airing on the All Japan streaming service. They went almost 20 minutes, and Nakajima retained after a Northern Lights bomb. I tuned in right as uh, the match. I, I got to see the final, like, five, six minutes of the match and have not got to see the entire thing. But what I saw looked good, and the audience was into the match, and Nakajima was lighting this dude up with kicks and then afterwards giving him the sign of respect as though, like, here was Dempsey kind of going through the gauntlet here with the the big uh, triple crown holder in Nakajima. And it, it seemed to be like it, it came across really well, but uh, I've not seen the whole show. It did uh, 1,331 fans that they drew. And uh, earlier, or I should say after the match, it was Shotaro Ishino coming out to set up the next challenge against Nakajima for the end of the month. So that's where we're going uh, with Nakajima defending the title uh, twice this week after the Miyahara win. Do you believe this was ultimately a beneficial, you know, uh, transaction for either the WWE uh, and All Japan Pro Wrestling, Charlie Dempsey? How do you feel? I don't think that the the stakes were all that high for either side. You did get Vic Joseph mentioning where Charlie Dempsey was last night, that he's off in Japan challenging for the Triple Crown. But they didn't make a huge deal of it. It's not like they directed people to where, where to go for all Japan, of course. I mean, any involvement with WWE is going to be beneficial for them. But for Charlie Dempsey, I think this was an excellent experience for him to go through of going to Japan, wrestling a big main event match at um, at Core Q and Hall. And I really hope th- this will be telling of the involvement if they show some highlights of this next week mm-hmm. on NXT television. I think yeah. it only makes Charlie Dempsey look that much more legit to your audience that here he is going off and facing Nakajima. And maybe you can explain the context of the match and, and what he was doing here, but you could certainly put the together. only real triple crown in pro wrestling. Yeah. Perhaps that is say. how they will uh, uh, signify it. But I think for, especially at the NXT level, the idea of sending a talent over there every now and then, I mean, there are people there that could certainly go on a tour and it would be 
of great benefit to them. So we will mm-hmm. see if this is just the start of something. Um, and like, this is the company you would see WWE working with that doesn't have a, a giant um, entity that owns the company that all Japan is one that seems to be the one that they have the, the door open with WWE. And there's probably stuff that you could do in the future with your, your talent. There's a benefit to NXT and there's an obvious benefit to all Japan. If they can gain any kind of attention with, a North American audience on uh, Tuesday. We also had the Noah, the new year card, and this was headlined by Kota Ibushi taking on now Michi Marafuji. And this was a match that uh, drew a lot of attention because of uh, Kota Ibushi's performance in this match that, so this was one where I woke up on Tuesday morning and my plan was to set out and watch this card. And before I could even start, I was getting messages from people about, uh, oh my God, Kota Bushi, he had no business being in this ring. And so that's what I'm going into. And I'm, I watched the entire card and I get to this main event and I'm assuming like if, if I am seeing all of this, that this had to have just been a disaster. Like, did he get hurt in the first couple of minutes or something? So when they go 33 and a half minutes and i'm watching this and first of all as soon as kota bushi walks out i mean he just does not look like a guy that has been able i would assume to do a whole lot of training like he doesn't look um anywhere in like the physique that you associate with, with kota bushi and i'm sure he's been extremely limited with like cardio and, and everything and then as the match is starting like he's got a tear coming down his eye and it was just a really tough performance to watch of somebody whose body was just not there the speed that you associate with abushi just the the quick reflexes all the little things that add up to make this really special performer was not there and he is just trying to gut his way through anything you could sense marafuji was as much just trying to get something going here and it just, there was no rhythm to this match they got no nothing what was clicking and it seemed the audience was aware of this the broadcasters were trying to cover for this that you know this is a chess match and this is a it's a it's a psychological game and you know just he was slipping here and there and then you see him execute this moonsault to the floor and his ankle is is giving him tons of problems afterward it was noted that he he was sent to the hospital and had issues with both ankles. And I guess he had posted an interview that uh, drew some attention about a week ago that he was likely hurt going into this uh, as well. But it was, man, a really tough performance to watch a guy that, I mean, he was in the main event and kind of just pushed himself through, but like, this is something we, we talk about quite frequently way of like these performers and kind of knowing their limits. And this is, there's going to be more examples of this than, then the latter, your your Wesleys that are going to realize, I can't go through with this. My body is not capable of pulling this off. And here was someone just pushing the limits of his of his physical abilities. And it it did not turn out well. And I can't say like the audience was not mad at this. It was it more so was just like a it was just sad to see somebody in in this state and you hold mm-hmm. a, a Kota Bushi to such a high level that people um were just obviously it, it was very glaring. Mm-hmm. I, I feel in in um, combat sports and in professional wrestling, like they're traditionally, I feel, you know, we really do sort of value um, the sort of gutsy performance of somebody maybe coming in with an injury and then gutting out, a, you know, some semblance of, 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 a, of a match or maybe even a good performance. 
And I Cody I, Rhodes, I mean, kind of made his yeah. WWE tenure off of that, which mm-hmm. was, you know, um, completely different circumstances, but in some like the same yeah. mentality. And I have no doubt that the performers themselves, you know, when they're dealing with an injury, feel like that that's what they're they're capable of. You know, yes, I might be injured heading into this match, but I'm going to gut this out and I'm going to have I'm going to give the crowd what what they what they deserve. Um, And thus Kota Ibushi coming out and deciding to wrestle a 30 minute match um, with an existing ankle injury only to injure the other ankle as well. I I think you have to draw the line, you know, if you're the promoter, if you're whatever, you know, physician that might be involved in clearing these wrestlers to be able to say you don't just you're not capable of giving the audience what they deserve. In fact, you're you're really kind of tarnishing the reputation of not just yourself, but the entire promotion by carrying on with this type of match. If you're going to do the match cut down the length you know work with the the handicaps don't try to go and wrestle your usual style don't execute a golden triangle moonsault off of one good ankle um it it was hard to see and 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 this unfortunately is sort of like a bit of an exclamation point on what has been a, a very notable um uh, just sort of almost concerning, um, I would say. Um, decline. I mean, he's not been the same since he's come yeah. back. He's just not been the same. We And it's been somewhat, I wouldn't even say camouflaged in some of these like multi-man matches and like blood and guts, but it, it was evident. I think like all the times we have seen him, like you have seen that, that you know, there, this was not the same uh, Koto Bushi. Like that, that time off, that injury, it did a number on him and he is probably dealing with more. Um he he needs an extended time away to handle all of this and and see where he's at i mean there's there's only so much that we can judge based on just what we see in in front of the camera um of what these last two and a half years have been for him so that was unfortunate but it, there was some really excellent stuff on this show and i did do a whole rundown of the card on my audio news update on tuesday if you want to check that out but the ghc championship match with keno and manabu soya well worth going out of your way to see. Tomohiro Ishii against uh, Masa Kitamiya was an excellent match. And the opener, uh, which was a three-way elimination match for the GHC Junior Heavyweight Tag Title match, was uh, some of the stuff that they pulled off, uh, in particular Ninja Mac, whose gymnastics base is phenomenal. Uh, some of the stuff that they were pulling off and the speed at which they were going, it was breathtaking. I would encourage you just to watch this of some of the... Uh, the ambitious high flying that you got in this uh, opener as well with the with the six involved. So that was uh, Noah's uh, the New Year card and traditionally like their their big show. They did over uh, fifty one hundred people. This is the same show Shinsuke Nakamura headlined last year. Um, so n- not at the same spotlight that that had, but still this was above the twenty twenty two show uh, that Noah did as well. This was at the Ariaki Arena. And finally, let's just touch on Wrestle Kingdom eighteen. Your uh, your last minute uh, matches here to go over. So in the main event, Sonata and Tetsuya Naito is this the, the crowning of Tetsuya Naito and his ability to do the roll call that was denied him four years ago. I have to think so. I mean, for, you know, four years is a long time to wait and I don't see them making us wait one more year so that Sonata can retain the championship nor, you know, to extend it by building to another feud with Naito and somebody else. This might be the last chance that the audience, I think, would care about something like this. So I, I do think this would be it. Yeah. How is this title reign going to be remembered for Sonata if it comes to an end in uh, about 12 hours time? Um, how many months has it been? He won it in April. Oh, man. 
um, just eight months. It feels uh, just five guys. Yeah. I mean, this has just been to me such a, a nothing title reign. I think it's been exceptionally disappointing. Yeah. Um, certainly, Other than winning it, I, I can't tell you like a great moment attached to this run for Sonata. And I think just the, like, this is clear, like the A side of this match is very, very clearly Tetsuya Naito. This is all about Tetsuya Naito. Um, and mm-hmm. I mean, Sonata just feels like a warm body carrying this title to the ring and hopefully has an outstanding match to kind of cap this off. But I, I can't say that this has been a, a title reign that has been. It, listen, if you were not in the Sonata camp, I mean, the, this title reign has not um, proven you wrong in in these last couple of months. And it's kind of come at a time when you have a real upswell of young talent that are that I think the audience is is more than ready to you know at least in the case of Yurisuji ready for, for to take the, over that spot. So um, I think follow up for for Sonata will be really interesting coming off of what is presumed to be a title loss. Kazuchika Okada and Brian Danielson. Is this a simple um, Danielson got the win in North America? Mm-hmm. Okada gets the win back here? I would say so, yeah. Mm-hmm. Will Ospreay, John Moxley, and David Finley three-way for the IWGP Global Heavyweight Championship. Um, Ospreay has suggested him and Moxley just get rid of David Finley because the match people want are Ospreay and Moxley, which is a hell of a way to position <laughs> this for the one guy that is sticking yeah. around in New Japan that is positioned as the guy no one wants in this match. Maybe for that reason, Finley will be the one winning it. I think Osprey has been hanging out with Keiji Muto in terms of how to promote a match. Promotion. Well, I mean, I, I think it's it's kind of obvious, though. He's only speaking truths, right? And and as a result, maybe it would be the, the end story of Finley beating these two guys that um, everybody wanted to see instead of him, you know, being the sort of outcome you would expect. Hiromu Takahashi and El Desperado for the Junior Heavyweight Championship. I mean, th- these two are never going to miss. I do think there's, it does feel like a bit of a, um, just sort of a period in this junior heavyweight division where it's sort of like the quality's good, but it's, it just feels like the a title that gets passed around to the same individuals here. Mm-hmm. And listen, I'm not going to be complaining about this match, but I think you also want to see sort of what is going to be the evolution of both of these individuals that, I think people would like to see in your G1s that would like to see less of a of a hard line between your junior heavyweights and heavyweights when that that line has been blurred for the last 15 years. Yeah, I, I would I would say that that I feel like that sentiment has been around for years now when it comes to these two. These two are by far like the, the breakouts of, of that junior heavyweight division. And maybe on a card like Wrestle Kingdom, um, you kind of ask where else would they fit, perhaps um, without any other spots. But the junior heavyweight championship match, I don't really care about the title. I don't really care about who wins the title, but I know I'm, I'm going to be in for a good match. So that's all I'm really interested in. Bishimon takes on. El Fantasmo and Hikuleo, winner take all for the IWGP and strong openweight tag titles. They are coming off a 40-minute match last month at the in the World Tag League final, uh, which Bishimon won for the third year in a row. Don't think they're getting 40 minutes on this show, but Fantasmo has been outstanding, and I think Hikuleo has improved greatly. So I, I'm looking at this as one of the... I don't even know if you've called us a sleeper on the show, but I, I have high hopes for this one, especially in a condensed form. I don't think we need... a. 30 plus minutes out of uh, these four in the middle of what's going to be a, a lengthy show as is. Uh, then we have Shingo Takagi, Tamatonga for the never open weight championship. Shota Umino teams with Kaito Kiyomiya. These two coming off their uh, 26 minute match on that Noah card, dispatching House of Torture. And that was 
26 minutes with the House of Torture. Uh, you can you can get to that that level of torture, uh, taking on Evil and Ren Narita. Um, Kaido Kiyomiya got to be the big babyface star of that elimination match and outlasting everyone to be the sole survivor. This match needs to be about Narita and Umino. And I think these two, along with the singles match with Yu Yu Imura and Yoda Suji, I really hope like these are positioned as not just the future four, but the four that are going to take enormous steps forward uh, between this show, New Year's Dash, and into the new year as guys that are ready to be significant players. So who wins this one, you think? Evil, of course. He's he's just going to pin both of them. Right. Um, the no, I'd, seriously, I'd have Umino. Um, I, I think you could have Umino score a big win over Evil, uh, save Narita. Like in a perfect world, I, I would have loved Umino and Narita and Yui Mura and Suji. Two separate singles matches, and mm-hmm. it's like these are going to be rivalries and combinations you are going to see for years to come in future Wrestle Kingdoms. Um, so we will see how this one is uh, structured, but I think overall, I think you want to have your, your spotlight more so on Umino than Kiyomiya, who God knows if we'll ever get the rekindling of the program with Okada. Someday, maybe. One day, when Okada remembers this. Zack Sabre Jr. and Hiroshi Tanahashi. Zack Sabre Jr. has stated that if he wins this, he wants Tanahashi to name him the Prime Minister of New Japan Pro Wrestling. Yeah, which, the uh, the Prime Minister. which ranks above or below the president, I guess. I guess that's to be determined. I don't know what the voting shares would um, be broken down into. But this hmm. is Zach's one-year mark as television champion. So I'm looking forward to these two doing the 15-minute the style match between them. It's always great when these two are together. But... I do not see this uh, as being the time for Zach to drop this belt. So I think the prime minister will be crowned. I mean, it could, they could be dropping it if they plan to move Zach into a, another title instead of this. It could be if you, if you, if you want to elevate him with, with the loss um, mm-hmm. or you could just, you could just elevate the television title. Maybe he's uh he just, he just holds on to that, but you know, putting Tanahashi in 15 minute match is not the worst idea either at, mm-hmm. at this juncture. And then uh, opening up the pay-per-view is Clark Connors and Drilla Maloney against Catch-2-2. We, we missed oh, – oh, I guess you did kind of talk about Suji versus – Well, yeah, th- this is uh, the singles match that will precede the mm-hmm. uh, the, the tag match. Um, yep. it, these two are in a – I think this is one of the most important matches on the card for these two to go out and have some blow-away mm-hmm. great match that these are seen as the future. And coming out of it, um, like this is Yui Mura's first big match coming back from Impact. And for Suji, I think he is uh, – of the four – I think he is he is your your number one prospect going into this year. So um, you, you could go either way, but I think it's more important that they come off as big stars and are positioned between tonight and New Year's Dash as you know, make sure that the spotlight is, is on at least one of these two. It's it's the type of match that you could see them maybe flashing back to in future iterations as they prepare for you know to build up a, a main event of, of Wrestle Kingdom twenty two for instance. So um, yeah, it's definitely got that sort of spotlight. And Connors and Maloney against TJP and Francesco Akira. They had a coffin match recently where TJP was placed in the coffin and he has not been seen since. He didn't show up at the press conference. So I can only pray that we are getting a zombie TJP showing up at the Tokyo Dome. <laughs> Interesting. Okay. Au contraire. Yeah. Uh, da, 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 da. Mon dead frere. I'm, yeah. I think we're getting some wacky gimmick here. Um, which, by the way, Great Muda's <laughs> uh, quote-unquote daughter was on the Noah card. Great Sakuya. And, um, oh, boy. lovely. Yeah, yeah. So there you have Maybe it. Maybe she'll show up in the Rambo. 
we, any surprises? Any surprise names on the Rambo? You think, or or maybe not anymore? Do, do they not? Um, I feel like the last few years they've gotten away from some of the surprises. Yeah. They're they're due for some. Like you, you we'll could find out at one thirty, won't we? Tonight. Yeah, I always hate this match, but you know it's part of the Wrestle Kingdom experience, and it's the final four that advance to New Year's Dash and have a four way match to determine the KOPW champion going forward. So I imagine this is where you get your Tai Chi's and. All the all the loose parts of the New Japan roster thrown into this match and maybe maybe a surprise or two. We'll we'll see. Okay. So again, three Eastern will be live post wrestlingcafe.com with Bruce Lord joining the two of us. But the action continues. Pay attention in picture in picture. <laughs> It is 2024, and tracking technology from advertisers, ISPs, and hackers is getting more sophisticated than many of us can understand. Something you can do to give yourself a bit more peace of mind this year is to protect your browsing by investing in a trusted VPN like NordVPN. Voted Best VPN for Privacy of 2023 by Security.org, Nord is one of the most established and reputable VPN providers in the field. NordVPN is also something I use every day to access geo-blocked online streaming services like AEW+. By far the best way of watching AEW programming commercial-free with on-demand access to AEW's entire TV archive. But perhaps the most value I've gained from using Nord has been the ability to unlock cheaper prices to online content from other parts of the world. Plus, when you sign up at nordvpn.com slash postwrestling, you get four bonus months on top of all two-year plans. That works out to $2.88 a month, so it's already paid for itself several times over. Again, $2.88 a month when you sign up at nordvpn.com slash postwrestling. Check the link in the show description. Sign up with code postwrestling, get yourself some bonus months, and let NordVPN know you found them through us. And thank you to all of the great sponsors of Post Wrestling, including NordVPN. I always love hearing your voice in those way. Well, thank you, John. Um, I like hearing my voice, too, when I'm not sick. So hope you enjoyed that. It actually didn't even play on my end. So I just watched a uh, black screen for the last uh, 60 seconds. Oh, yeah. Okay. Uh, you couldn't tell the difference, could you? To the Prudential Center we go. Newark, New Jersey. And Samoa Joe opens things up. This was taped after World's End. Great promo here. I am not a prophet, but I do tell the future. He doesn't make predictions, just one that keeps promises. MJF did everything to steal from him at Grand Slam, and you cheated me. So I turned everyone you loved against you, showed up in your own neighborhood, and did this in front of your friends and family, and I will always take what is mine. I am Samoa Joe. I am the AEW champion, and his word to anyone coming for his belt is he will do anything and take anything he wants from those who try to take from him. And then we go into a recap of Adam Cole as the devil, but they promoted next week. Joe will be on the show live and the first time he will ever appear at Daly's place. Okay. Yes, of course. Um, I thought it was a good way to start the show. I mean, if I had a, a, a preference, I, I, I would have might maybe would have, um, I would have rather seen him in arena. It just feels like a bit grander and he probably would have had a bit more time, but there's also something great about seeing him immediately after the match itself too, you know, just full of sweat and full of adrenaline saying words like this. And I thought he actually cut a hell of a promo in the moments right after he won this championship. Um, He revealed the reason why he did all this to MJF, you know, because MJF beat him at grand slam. And so he didn't just want to, retaliate by beating mjf for the title he wanted to take his friends away from him he wanted to take his title in front of his friends and family inside his hometown 
Uh, I thought it, it it continued to maybe, you know, underscore like the sort of sadistic cerebral character that Joe has. He's not just going to get revenge on you. He's going to psychologically torture you on his way to get there as well. Adam Cole's music begins, and I was literally about to write, it's probably time for a music update with the new character. And the music stops, and they play a new theme. Mm-hmm. I mean, read my mind as I was typing this. And out are the Undisputed Kingdom, all in black, including Bennett and Taven with their newly won ROH tag titles. Cole sits in the center of the ring, flanked by the group, and Roderick is telling everyone to shut up. And Cole explains, if you were surprised that I was the devil, you're either stupid or you don't know right from wrong. I'm the good guy. MJF created enemies and ran his mouth for years. And he's getting a lot of heat from the crowd, calls MJF a narcissist, and it was time for change. And in time, everyone in the back, the fans, and even Tony Khan will thank him because MJF is never coming back. He says MJF would have done the same to me as soon as he realized he no longer needed me. Cole says he sacrificed everything for this friendship, even broke his ankle for him. MJF is dead, but the Undisputed Kingdom is alive, and they are out to win gold. Roderick Strong is going to go for the international title. Wardlow is going to go for the world championship. And when I'm healthy, Wardlow will do the right thing and forfeit the title. I thought like it's very similar what they are already planting with Cole and Wardlow as we're getting at the moment with Christian and Luchasaurus. Yes, certainly. Yeah. And this person is is like the big man I'm taking advantage of, you know. Um, but I, I get the sense Wardlow is not going to be uh, any sort of, you know, um, bitch. <laughs> like, <laughs> I mean, like he's, he's right back to the role that got him over in the first place with MJF of like being under MJF's thumb. And eventually he's going to break away from the from the shackles. It's true. True. Um. I don't I don't sense they'll play it they'll draw it out that long. Like that was very much done to to serve Wardlow as a baby face, very much like Luchasaurus, you know, serving him as a baby face, breaking up from beneath the the shackles of, you know, the 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 leader. This I sense we're already start, at a starting point where Wardlow is a heel. I think he's going to stay as a heel. Like even in, upon this mention, Wardlow kind of gives the type of look to Adam Cole almost as if to say, Sure, yeah, I'll follow your plan. Um and then you'll see, you know, further descent. I don't even think we'll get to that point, but I, I, I sense this one being a little bit different. They take credit for taking out Hangman Page as a favor to Joe and that AEW needed change. We gave it to you and the devil is here to stay. So how would you feel that this first promo went of establishing the top heel group in the company and what is probably going to get a mm-hmm. big amount of television time? I think what I was mainly looking for is in this sort of explanation is is the logic tight enough, you know, to to make this entire um, storyline make sense. And I feel like if we dug deep enough, I'm sure we could maybe poke some holes into this. But upon watching this, I there was nothing that was screaming plot hole to me that leaves me dissatisfied with anything that they were saying. I thought Cole established that he was earnest at the beginning about his feelings towards MJF and that they both knew that they would turn on each other sooner or later. We saw it, you know, through several teases, um, principally uh, most, most notably at the end of all in Uh, and then Cole broke his ankle 
And I guess from that, we can presume that he blamed Max Forrest for it. And that's when he con- concocted this whole devil scheme to get back at him and ruin his life. And uh, through that, he worked with Joe to get there, including attacking Paige on his request. So he's also established that he's he at that point, he was no longer after the championship. He was simply after you know ruining MJF's life. Um, and the end result of that is you have a number of people that are now going to go after this new undisputed kingdom group because they were collateral on route to them route trying to ruin MJF's life. So they've already got built in programs with the people that you're, you're about to be talking about. So I thought it was a very good establisher in a way. Like we saw all these people that we were under the assumption, like MJF is setting up all these different programs that, somewhat revert now to this group to the undisputed mm-hmm. kingdom that you're going to see like your hangman page and the acclaimed and like all, all of these different people that were somehow uh this whole web that was cast and who it affected it all th- this is like the true north of those programs that everyone leads back here and you've got cole essentially as the mastermind behind this and that's going to be the difficult part because this is going to require a heavy presence of adam cole but he is not able to do anything physically for the foreseeable future. Yeah. Yeah. Which can be done and like draw that out. And there are enough people within this group to, you know, they were all part of the attacks and, and, and getting revenge simply on the rest of the kingdom. um, I think might be enough temporarily. They, I also thought um, they did a really good job of, of establishing paths for every single member of the group. You know, of course you have Taven and Bennett now officially recognized as the ROH tag team champions. Um, You have no desire for those AEW tag belts. They're, they're good with the ROH version. Um, well, that's what they're used to, you know, what they're most comfortable with. Roddy, we know, is now going for the international championship and Wardlow with the world championship, too. So everybody kind of has their path. Jay White comes out, and this is one of the uh, the many, uh, uh, many of the aggrieved uh, during all these beatdowns. He was the first one that they took out, and he's happy they took out MJF, but didn't like being collateral when I was all alone. But I'm not alone now, and here to back him up are the guns who come down they fight in the ring, but Wardlow ha- gives them the numbers advantage. The acclaimed and daddy ass run down. They clear the ring, and then they stare down White and the guns who exit. And the idea is, are the acclaimed Jay White and the guns going to be on the same page because they have a common enemy in the United Kingdom, mm-hmm. the, the undisputed kingdom? Oh, yeah, yeah. You almost uh, caused caused a World War Three there, John. Um I I love this, you know, I and whether or not it was uh, initially the plan for the Bullet Club to be rolled into this so that we could serve some sort of baby face turn for the Bullet Club. I don't know, but it's played its way um, towards that. I mean, who, you know, Bullet Club uh, under Jay White and, and Juice and, and the guns, I, I think have already become very much baby faces um, to, you know, on, on collision anyway. And this is a program that seems to directly we'll we'll turn them um into full on baby faces with a a, a bang scissor scissor bang <laughs> with a with a big scissor bang in the middle of the ring between all of them uh like uh what is it how many people are in the group like like a eight way scissor bang you know it's it's going to be fantastic can't make scissors without a blade so oh beautiful seems well like it uh just Seamless. I, I think all the directions coming out of this like are have been really set out well. Everybody seems to be in a pretty good position coming off of the story. They, re- 
They recapped Eddie Kingston winning the Continental Classic and in this tournament found his confidence. And now he has so much confidence coming out of this that it's going to take someone special to unseat me. It, it was a really heartwarming way to kind of wrap up the entire tournament, right? I mean, and and again, let's remember this entire Continental Classic, at least the first iteration, was done as a push for Eddie Kingston. And I don't know if there was somebody on that roster, with the exception of Mark Briscoe, that could have made a tournament tournament win feel that significant beyond just maybe a stepping stone towards, you know, the world championship. For Eddie Kingston winning this tournament it was self-imposed first of all and but secondly it was uh, self-imposed so that he could gain a level of uh, uh, sort of self-esteem um that that i think you know he holds his idols towards i mean we know from mox that mox told everybody kingston was thinking about quitting at one point and this proved to himself that he belonged in this company and you had, you know, like the redemption of here, you lose to Brian Danielson and he's calling you a bum and you mm-hmm. redeem yourself w- w- with that one. You have the the whole history with Moxley. I mean, there was a lot here, even coming out of this, the one blemish that was not, um, not avenged was Brody King. And that's an instant title match you could do at, at some point as well mm-hmm. for following this. Daniel Garcia does a promo addressing Swerve, who will be uh, fa- facing him in the main event tonight. And he's not going to fold no matter how much pressure he is placed under tonight. International Championship, Orange Cassidy and Dante Martin with Hook and Danhausen out with Orange Cassidy. And Dante stops Orange from putting his hands in the pockets. And then Dante is sent into the rail. And slowly Orange Cassidy runs all the way around the ring to execute a drop kick. We go through the picture in picture. Cassidy spikes him with a satellite DDT. And then Dante leaps to the top, is sent down and hit with the uh, the deep impact DDT. Martin stops a beach break, drills him with a knee off the shoulders. And as Orange Cassidy rolls to the floor, it's Martin on top. And Dante then, sh- uh, as Orange Cassidy is rolling away, Dante just walks across the top rope and then launches a splash, connecting with Cassidy across the ring. And it's Orange Cassidy who then evades uh, Dante, rolling underneath and connects with the Orange Punch to win in 13 minutes and 30 seconds. Really strong match, I felt. You know, these two showed fantastic chemistry with each other. And Dante, I thought, showed like an elevated well-roundedness in terms of um, in-ring storytelling and charisma in this match. I love seeing him employ Orange's own mind games against him. And I overall just sensed a bit more cockiness and attitude out of Dante, which certainly is the thing he needs, you know, to elevate himself beyond just being a great high flyer that he's been throughout these past several years. Um, Some some good creativity thrown into the match as well. Going through the entire commercial break, just doing vertical suplexes to each other. Um, um, Like they basically worked three minutes only on the vertical suplex. And it was actually a lot of fun to watch. And then they had an excellent closing sequence that was almost like a game of speed chess uh, that directly played off of the interaction that they had on rampage where, um, it was Dante um, uh, countering the orange punch with the drop kick. In this instance, it was orange faking out the orange punch to lure Dante into delivering the drop kick, only for him to duck it and then execute the orange punch. So, very, very well designed match. So, after Danhausen and Hook are out, Andretti and Darius are checking on Dante, and then Cassidy comes over, shakes hands with Dante. And then all of a sudden, Top Flight's music starts playing, and no one knows what's going on. And then the music stops, and they play private parties to come out. I don't know either of their music uh, by heart, so I guess I 
I wouldn't have made that big of a reaction. Well, apparently the person who was in charge of playing the music didn't know the difference either when he went Mm -hmm. to play this. So out comes Private Party with the returning Mark Quinn. And they state that the division, the tag division has been lacking without them. And they're putting all the teams on notice, including the ones in the ring, FTR, the Young Bucks, even the Hardys. And state new year, new champs. I'm happy to see that this this is the official sort of uh, I guess breakout uh, breakup of um, Isaiah Cassidy with the Hardys because I never really enjoyed that fit. This is the end of Brothers A. Yeah, seems like it. I'm happy to see Mark Quinn back. It's been way too long. You know, it's been way too long for like Isaiah Cassidy to really be doing nothing. Renee is with Tony Storm and Luther, and she was really excited to be coming here, but then realized this is not New York. This is New Jersey. And she is off to have a seance with Stephen Sondheim, a a deceased composer on Broadway. And she is asked about watching Mariah May's debut. And she informs Renee, oh, I don't watch wrestling. I mean, how hard could it be? And Mariah is paying her dues by having to wrestle in New Jersey. And uh, much like any wrestling company that goes to New Jersey, this poor state, I mean, just the... The bane of every heel's existence, uh, although New Jersey would get get something in their favor. And then Luther carries out Tony. Um, I mean, I guess it sucks being in the in the shadow of, of New York, I suppose. But I mean, um, it's a beautiful place, you know, I'm, and I'm sure um, much more uh, affordable in, in many areas. Why a lot easier you? to run if you're an independent promotion. That's way right. better for, for accommodations. Like if you go to, if you want to go to New York, stay in New Jersey. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's all I have to share. <laughs> As a black, accept the challenge laid out by FTR for North Carolina on Saturday in front of Dax's family. And they will have to lose in front of them. And FTR will walk and join their new family. One that truly loves Dax. Yeah. I know so they've been doing all these promos. Their deliveries are both pretty good, but I mean, try and explain this story to me. And I'm, I mean, this is like Miro CJ Perry territory for me. They want them to join the house of black. I don't know why, like of everybody on the roster, would you ask Dax and cash to join your goth group? Those two. I'd love to see it. We're not doing that with y'all. <laughs> I'd love but, to uh, see Dax and Cash try to cut this sort of pro. Like, is this even like part of the? This isn't even like a stipulation. It's just like you're going to lose, and our, we're going to have the mind control that you'll want to join us. I'm like, okay, well, sure. Um, it worked for the Wyatts. How are families in front rows going to fare in 2024? We're going to find out on Saturday. It, you're right. It's a new year. I guess we'll find out. Renee chats with Swerve and Prince Nana, and they ask about Daniel Garcia, Isaiah. Or, Swerve is the boss of the bosses and respects Garcia going after the same things he was in 2023, but his big pressure means big pain. And his goal for the new year is championship gold. He thought it would be MJF, but his body couldn't hold up. So I guess I'm coming for you, Joe, be ready. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, the, the, uh, I guess Swerve MJF interaction maybe was just a bit of a misdirection or, just a way to tease something further into the new year that we may get, or maybe even beyond at this point, who knows? Yeah. It was just like, uh, just dangle it out there and then take it away from people. Yeah. Maybe the rock will come out on raw and just explain, you know what? 
I got a good meal. I'm I'm fine just sitting at the yeah. booth. You know what I mean? Yeah, the table booth, for two. The booth, the booth was plenty comfy. Um, I'm good, yeah. everybody. Mariah May makes her AEW debut against uh, Queen Amanada, and we get some chops from May, and then a tilt a whirl head scissors. And Excalibur does a really good job of going over her year in stardom as part of a club Venus. They go through the break. It's all May during this break, and then as uh, Amanada blocks a Hurricane Ron off the buckle, she fires back with these slaps, and the crowd was getting behind her here. Hits a a running knee strike, and then uh, out of the corner comes May with the sling blade, and then hits the Mayday to win the match in six minutes and 39 seconds. Uh, what, what did you think of the uh, the AEW debut of Mariah May? I thought it was a pretty decent debut for, for her. Um, she definitely came across like somebody with experience and coupled that with like the, the comfort uh, she has in front of the camera as a character on the microphone. It's easy to see why they would shove her into like a pretty big role so quickly and overall i i'm 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 happy that this was the debut of a female roster member with a bit more fanfare than your typical which would is usually nothing usually it's just hey this person's uh uh making their way up from uh you know um uh aw dark or aw rampage with a such and such record and then she gets a win and then nobody really cares this is at least the feeling that um of somebody of importance that that is relevant to storylines so i i thought she looked good i thought queen amanada looked very good in the little comeback that she was given here as well so yeah yeah for someone that like post uh dark and elevation i mean this audience is not seeing at, at all like they got into her comeback uh mm-hmm. at, for for at a decent amount renee then interviews mariah may and she screams about her win thinks it's surreal being in this ring and she hopes tony storm is watching and is proud it's all about mariah but my only regret is doing this in new jersey and the crowd is not happy about this and then boom the music hits and out comes the debuting Deanna Perrazzo coming out as the hometown star. And there's a Deanna chant. I mean, they really, it came off as like th- this crowd really, w- this was a very smart debut and mm-hmm. the crowd knew her and treated her like a big deal showing up here and proudly announces that she is from New Jersey. And if you don't want to be here, Mariah, then we don't want you here either. But I've got a message for you to send to Tony that no matter where she runs or hides, I'm going to find her. And I am all elite. And then in a historic moment for the entire professional wrestling industry, we got a New Jersey chant started. Yeah. Out of the Newark crowd. They're chanting, New Jersey, <laughs> New Jersey. I've never heard that before. In no, my life. no, it's never happened. I mean, this is right up there with, uh, you know, could we start an Ontario chant? I like it just would not happen. You would it's just a bit of an awkward um thing that it's it's tough. It's doesn't uh, really work. Yeah. But May says, I'm not the messenger, so tell her yourself, bitch, and slaps Deanna, who then lays out May with a boot. Uh I, I thought a great debut here for Deanna Perrazzo. I think someone that um I think she was among like the best in terms of handling her WWE release and going to impact where she became a super character became you know in many ways the person that the division was built around and i think in that time gained a ton of confidence was put in a lot of big situations her feud with mickey james rather than had she in 2020 gone right to aew um i think for her it's an example of somebody that went the different path went to impact and will be 
that much better off for it now going to AEW almost four years after she was cut. Perhaps you're you're right. Um, do you, do you think she's entering maybe an AEW women's division that is a, is a better fit for her uh, versus back then? It, it, compared to Impact, no. Compared to AEW back then. Oh, back then. I mean, it, it's hard to say. I think that at that time, you know, you obviously had so many less women. Um, I just think she was she's a much better performer than she was four years ago. And I think a, a lot of that is just the, the time she spent in Impact and getting to be somebody that could be put on a pay-per-view in a main event spot or going out and doing 20-minute matches on pay-per-view. I don't think she would have had those opportunities in, mm. in AEW. I I think it's a great addition to, to the ro- roster. Um, she also wasn't the only rumored person that um, people have been talking about um, perhaps entering the AEW women's division this week. Uh, and and I guess I, I also find it very I find it very interesting to see if uh, a Mercedes Monet does come in, where that leaves a Diana Parazzo. You know, does it? Do we immediately forget about this, or or can they create some staying power even in spite of that? That's going to be the question at, for for anyone that they bring in is going to be follow up and and presence. Mm-hmm. Like, um, it would seem like a natural that a Diana Parazzo you would want to attach in some way to Britt Baker. Um, you know, there's there's all these options, but again, like we just went through this. Like Rio, is she just back in hiding now until the next time they need to bring her out as a number one contender? I mean, it's the consistency is tough when you have a roster of this size. And where will Deanna Perazzo be in, in a month from now? Hmm. Christian Cage is out with uh, the family here for the State of the Union for 2024 with Tony Schiavone in the ring. Shayna Wayne takes the microphone. You boo a mother? How dare you? <laughs> Wait, I think I have found my interview subject for 2024, and it might be Shane Wayne. <laughs> Can we book her for the Christmas show already? Um, perhaps. We will see. She is obviously being told, speak as slowly as possible. I mean, really draw it out. And, um, I mean, maybe this is going to connect. Um, she refers to Christian as our father the patriarch and Christian. This was great. He says, it's been 200 days since I won this title on the first episode of collision. And I defended it this past Saturday at world's end. Thanks mother Wayne. And secondly, I want to thank my pride and joy, the apple of my eye, my boy, Nick Wayne, who selflessly put his body on the line. And Adam Copeland tried to end his career at the age of 18. He says he loves Nick. They hug. And lastly, the man he wants to thank as he turns around to kill shot. The man that kill sealed switch. the to kill switch. What did I call him? Kill shot? Ricochet. Or uh, sorry, a swerve. swerve. Thanks, the man that sealed the victory and put the final nail in the coffin for Copeland. Myself. And the crowd starts chanting Luchasaurus. And they started to take over here, chanting for Luchasaurus. And Crit Cage continues. He's now beaten Adam twice. I'm 2-0. No more title shots for you. I am superior. And he says, I would like to think that the two of us left a piece of our souls in the ring on Saturday. But the difference is I don't have a soul. I'll go to any length to keep this title. I've made it the most prestigious one in the company. And I will hold it until I finally hand it off to my prodigy, Nick Wayne. But we are the faces of AEW now and forever. I mean, this guy's just tremendous. So great. What a great promo. Um, yeah, really strong. I mean, what more can you say? He's, he, he's arguably doing some of the best promo work of his entire career right now. 
Renee is in the back with, I guess, the new outcasts. Ruby Soho, Soraya, and Harley Cameron. Soho admits she had her doubts, but does appreciate the help that Cameron provided her on Rampage. And Cameron is all excited to be part of this group. Uh, but the the character, she is slightly crazy. And Soraya wants her to basically uh, contain this because it's too obvious uh, when she, that she's nuts. I guess so. Yeah, is that, is that what we've got? So she well, she could pull out a butcher's knife uh, on a moment's notice. Yes. Um. Among uh, I guess uh yeah who knows what else yeah she's crazy so um yeah I don't know I haven't really seen enough to to comment too much yet they they do seem to be doing something behind um Saray and, and uh, sorry Saray and Cameron are doing something behind Soho's back. Because um, Sabria was telling her to keep it down because I guess she's making it too obvious. All right. Tune in next week. See where this one goes. I mean, are they trying to break up, um, I guess, Soho and Ange, I guess, maybe? I think that's the idea. Maybe Harley's going to kill him. Um, uh, Could be that too. Yeah. Yeah. Could be the plot. Yeah, you don't want to make that too obvious on national TV. I no, no, you got to be subtle. That's a that's a backstage uh, hmm. conversation in a locker room. Then we go to Kanosuke Takeshita and Darby Allen. My God, this match. Oh. So early on, Takeshita goes for a wheelbarrow, and Darby flips over, landing on his feet, and then takes this insane back body drop. Then things pick up as Darby does his insane tope suicida, but is met with a flying knee by Takeshita from the floor. Uh, this looked insane. insane. So Takeshita takes him up the ramp and does multiple rotations into like uh, chaos, chaos theory. theory on the ramp. It, this was just crazy. We go to the picture in picture and Darby rolls to the floor, avoiding the running knee strike. So Takeshita on the floor runs at him, crashes his knee into the guardrail, and he's selling the knee. He did a phenomenal job selling this knee for the rest Mm -hmm. of the match. Don Callis is checking on him from the broadcast area, and Darby hits a coffin drop to Takeshita on the floor. Takeshita beats the count at nine, right into a code red that he kicks out from. Darby goes for another coffin drop, landing on Takeshita's knees, which include the injured one, so he's continuing to limp and he's trying to get around, hits multiple suplexes to Darby, and Darby just fires back with a crucifix bomb. Callus yells, kill at Takeshta, who runs his boot into the face of Darby and then executes a German suplex off the top turnbuckle to Darby. And from there, Darby is just waving on more, and he's about to die when. Takeshita gives him his wish, blasts him with the knee, and wins in 12 minutes and 50 seconds. Match of the year so far. (laughs) So far, yeah, I would say so. I mean, actually, um, you know what? This would be on par with some of the the Noah matches, but um, anyway, this would be a a candidate. Can't even even call it a match of the year. Yeah, I I can't actually. I did see some pretty good (laughs) matches yesterday. Uh, Maybe best TV match of the year? Best AEW match? Best TV match of the year. Easy. Yeah. All right. All right. This match was insane. I knew it would be great, but I was not prepared for uh, uh, this 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 sort of quality on the first show of the year. This felt to me very much like a modern version of Mike Awesome versus uh, Masada Tanaka. 
except the Japanese guy is the big man here. And um, the moves were just as spectacular. And, and it had a bit more psychology than maybe, you know, some of those matches, but a ton of creativity. And I think what what is the signature of those matches uh, that this one has in common? Complete fearlessness in execution of whatever crazy shit that these two had planned. One guy just able to throw the other at will and the smaller guy just taking a crazy amount of punishment but refusing to ever give up. It was by far the most heelish I felt to Keshida throughout this entire run. It was the the the, the match where I, I felt he most effectively used his size as a heel as well. I just want to see a bigger program with these two on a bigger stage. Their chemistry was was really off the charts here. Yeah, and it's going to get followed up because later they're in the back with the Don Callis family and Takeshita cuts a promo in Japanese. Callis says next week they go back to Daly's place and issues a challenge for Darby to bring Sting and his 25-0 record to take on Takeshita and Hobbs and they will make it 25-1. and So later in the night, they said that uh, Sting and Darby have accepted the challenge and they'll also be appearing on Collision Saturday, which is noteworthy of having Sting in Charlotte for the last time. Yeah, interesting. Wow. That's a so big we're getting deal. This tag match next week. I just came out of this. I agree with you, Way. I think you could definitely revisit Takeshita and Darby. But man, if this is not like the audition for Takeshita to be a significant heel in 2024. But again, there's just there's so many names and so few spots that you have. But man, mm-hmm. and Takeshita, this guy is just he was outstanding here and he had a phenomenal opponent in Darby to be with, but this was just a tremendous TV match. To cast it to Sean in a, in a different way than, than he did in previous matches. Cause I don't know if I've ever really seen him as this giant, you know, against a smaller man who bumps the way Darby has. And and it just, to me, unlocks something different about Takeshita. Um, that, that really, to me, made it feel like he could be a main event you know top player i mean he he felt that way before but as an underdog i think that's that's almost just a different role um than than what what is available right now in AEW. but as a big man monster with don Callis by his side like th- there's a lot of potential there but then will hobbs is also that guy too so there's a lot of big people in, in the Callis uh family taz had some funny lines on this show i mean at one point callus is talking about how you know he wants big guys and like six three and above which which felt like one of those like wwe edicts they went through when when how tall is will osprey um well he's he's not five foot eight which is what taz noted he was and he was stating uh what about me i was five foot eight are you saying that uh people need to be six foot three and callus just pauses well, ideally, that's what you want to be, but you were, but you were special, Taz. <laughs> you didn't want to like heal on Taz, but um, they continue. <laughs> did you did you read anything into the lack of Chris Jericho on this show? I mean, there was no mention of him. There was no connection, to, like coming off of the eight man tag to this program. Mm-hmm. And I guess um, we'll see if he was on the rampage commentary because that is his usual role uh, on those shows. But I mean, no no mention of him or anything. I guess I didn't even think about it until you mentioned it because the show was so good. And in many ways, this is the best way you can combat bad press is by delivering such good wrestling that I, your audience doesn't even think about it. But I have to think that the lack of Jericho was intentional. Um, I mean, let's not rule out. It's it's not uncommon for like, you know, a big star to just like not be a part of the next show. But I, 
I don't know this particular week. I, I, I'm more willing to think that it was an intentional decision. It's also after Saturday where they may have gone in thinking, is this going to permeate to the crowd? And you went through that reaction on Saturday, but again, we, he may not have been just booked uh, this week. It's not uncommon, but I Mm -hmm. think people will come out um, noticing that. Brian Cage, Trent Beretta, Brian Keith, and El Hijo del Vikingo with Eddie Kingston on commentary. And Eddie Kingston calling Vikingo matches is now something I enjoy greatly. I mean, they they were stationed ringside, so Kingston just got freaked out anytime Vikingo was coming off the top. They're too close. They're too close. Um, Kingston was really funny on, on commentary, in particular with Taz. So Cage hits a brain buster to Trent on the floor. Vikingo then hits a spinning wheel kick on Cage, running double knees in the corner. And then uh, we we go and Cage hits a pop-up powerbomb and then a spinning version to Trent. Trent kicks out. Dan Housen runs in and places a curse on Brian Cage, who then uh, is lifted and super kicked by both Keith and Vikingo. And as Vikingo hits a moonsault to the floor on Cage, it's Keith with a Saito suplex on Trent. Diving headbutt only gets a two count. And then the Tiger Driver by Keith is countered when Trent hits the Dude Buster, pinning Keith in nine minutes and 40 seconds, setting up Trent challenging Eddie Kingston for the Continental Crown on Saturday on Collision. Mm-hmm. Uh, very good four-way. I mean, uh, I thought Brian Cage, to me, probably stood out the most, along with Vikingo, who usually seems to steal the show anytime he's in one of these. Uh, maybe most notably, they, they seem to at least temporarily... Mm, I guess um, give you a, a bit of um indication that Trent and Danhausen are actually on the same page and, and they're not warring after um, Trent eliminated him in, in, in the uh, battle Royal, but that might play itself out in, in the actual title match itself as well. And how cursed is Brian cage? Probably quite actually he didn't win. Right. Renee tries to interview Matt Menard, but he never gets a word out. As Hangman Page shows up with about 20 minutes to go in the show, he's pissed about the attack from a few weeks ago, and he's kicking someone's ass tonight. That's his proclamation. Main event, Swerve Strickland, Daniel Garcia with Matt Menard on commentary. And Daniel Garcia is trying to draw him into his guard, tries for the label lock, but Swerve gets the rope. And then as they fight on the floor, Garcia walks up to Prince Nana and we got a dance off between Nana and Garcia until Swerve broke that up. And I mean, Swerve worked this match complete heel um, mm-hmm. with Daniel Garcia as the babyface. Nana grabs Garcia's leg from the apron. That gives Swerve the advantage, who hits a DVD on the edge of the apron. Swerve then starts doing Garcia's dance to taunt the crowd. And Garcia responds with stomps in the corner. And Swerve gets into Menard's face. This guy, just everyone wants to go after Menard on commentary. From Brody King to Swerve. And that might be a, a story that they might pay off in the future. You know, like, I, I mean, Garcia is going to be, uh, Garcia is already a baby face. And I don't know if um, Menard is going to join him. And having, you know, being attacked constantly by uh, simple association to Danny Garcia might be enough to set Daddy Magic off. What if what if you have like Harley Cameron, who is like portrayed as just being absolutely out of her mind mm-hmm. and they go on a double date with Menard and Harley Cameron and <laughs> Angelo Parker and Ruby Soho? Maybe that's where this is heading. Yeah. Um, sign me up. Sure. Yeah. Garcia. Um, Garcia goes after Swerve to protect Menard. They fight on the desk. And as Garcia is turning him around for the sharpshooter. They slip off the desk and fall. And uh, man, this crowd let them have it, unfortunately. It was funny because 
in the previous four-way match, they hit the desk and Kingston yells, there goes your Coke Zero. And Taz is like, not this time, not this time. So that Coke Zero <laughs> stood still on this desk. Uh, but unfortunately, these two humans could not. I wondered if it was taboo to promote Coke Zero instead of Woo Energy. That if they didn't get the exclusivity on beverages, mm. man, strike against Woo Is Coke Zero the official energy drink now of AEW? Unofficial. Hmm. This still my favorite Taz line of his AEW run was when they were plugging. We're going to Toronto, the Coca-Cola Coliseum. And it's just, this is elevation, by the way. It's not like they're on TV. He's like, mm-hmm. I'm going to walk into the Coca-Cola Coliseum with a big giant Pepsi. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, Garcia uses a crucifix for a two count. This is after he survives a house call and the swerve stomp. And the crowd's going nuts as he kicks out. These are some great near falls that they had. And Swerve finally puts him down with a house call and the JML driver where he just drilled this guy coming down. Um, And Swerve wins the match. Afterward, Prince Nana low blows Garcia. Swerve attacks Menard. And Nana proclaims Swerve will be the next world champion. When Hangman Page is out, goes face-to-face with Swerve. And they get into a big brawl and are separated by security to end the show. And you definitely got the indication that we're going to get one more match between these two at some point. Seems like it. Like, seems like that's directly the the next program, right? I mean, they are indicating sort of sort of um uh, intent to to face Samoa Joe or whoever is going to be the champion, but most likely Joe. But um, I guess they want to finish this page match first. And wasn't this originally the plan for World's End to have this chapter, or at least like before the end of the year, to have a, a final chapter with these two? I thought I read that somewhere. I could be wrong, but. It makes sense that they would close the trilogy off before moving on. Um, maybe most interesting is the fact that, like, it makes sense. That's... Two, two nothing. What's the, what's the trilogy gonna solve? You're right. Yeah. How do they book their way out of this um, while keeping sort of strong enough? Maybe you know? Swerve goes three and zero. It's man, it's possible, <laughs> but um, yeah. Okay, so first match, you have you have to have something at stake here. I think, and man, they've got a. They've got to top that death match, which is, oh. I don't even know where, where you start. But, I mean, these two have had phenomenal chemistry together. And, um, yeah, you would think, like, this is something you will build up for, for television at, at some point. Because I can't see this being held off until a, a pay-per-view. No, not at all. Um, yeah, I, I, I'm not sure what they, they, they do, but um, Swerve has a lot of things that, that – uh, a lot of directions where he can go, and every single performance that the man has, has shown so far has really been fantastic. This match was no different. I thought this was a great match and great follow-up for Garcia as he continues to bolster that baby face appeal despite losing most of these matches over the tournament. Um, he just becomes a bigger baby face through, like, um, I guess his – showcasing his will and this match was no different and um swerve uh we'll see uh who he f- where 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 um i guess where else he goes next i mean every match feels like a big match with him coming up yeah i thought this was a really strong dynamite <clears throat> coming off the pay-per-view and setting things in a lot of different directions i would say if, if there was one thing that was like a huge or is going to be a huge part of the show that i wouldn't say the segment um knocked it out of the park for me it was the formal introduction of the undisputed kingdom i just i felt it was a very important segment that at the end of it you i think you want to be like really excited about all these directions and 
I'm not quite there yet with this group that I know is going to command a ton of television time. I think you've got a great leader in Adam Cole, but I mean, I think you are working to try and put, especially like Strong and Bennett and Taven into a more serious light moving forward as like this the big heel group that is now causing all this anarchy in in the company. But I mean, that's a, a small thing. It was you know fine segment, but not to me. You know this. Uh, you know, screams like number one program that is going to be a very big focus m- moving forward. But I liked what they had to do. I, th- I thought it was limited with Joe, but like you've established him as this, the, he is the Thanos of this group for lack of a better comparison. And you've got all these different figures that are going to try and topple him off the mountain. And I think that you have some really compelling challengers uh, set up and, that Darby match with Takeshita was excellent, and you got some very good promos on this show from from Christian Cage, from Swerve. Um, so it it mm-hmm. came out of it, and there's a lot of interesting ways of where they can go, and a big gap now in between pay per views, which we have not been used to with AEW. That's pretty much been on a monthly um, mm-hmm. pay per view schedule. I thought it was a really strong edition of Dynamite. You know, to kick off the year, it felt fresh. I mean, we didn't even mention the um, sort of updated look um that that it had with a new set with um elevated screen and then just a much bigger video wall um slight update to the graphics as well and i i it almost feels like you know every year we might get get one of these and and it's it was just kind of a a nice way to basically make this feel like a season premiere you had several returns here with private party um you had uh diana parazzo as a you know a surprise uh, uh, uh get and then I I was more satisfied with the Adam Cole, you know, uh, promo maybe than than you were. Um, I sense like for me, I feel like there are several big programs coming out of it with, um, you know, this undisputed um, kingdom taken on Bullet Club Gold and the acclaimed. And uh, now Hangman Page looking to get revenge on Joe and on um, uh, this group as well. So I feel like they're in really good shape coming off of World's End. Yeah, I, I. I think having Hangman Page have more of a consistency on the show, I think that greatly just improves things. I think he's such a tremendous character, and, you know, he's sort of since the death match, he's kind of been in and out, but I think, like, him and Takeshita, you just have them as, like, these weekly characters. I think I think it greatly just enhances the interest that it seems to a lot of the... And, and I put Swerve in there, but Swerve, you're, you're getting on a weekly basis is three of your core people several people in the chat room ryan here and nathan are suggesting a three-way perhaps with swerve hangman and joe and of course we have page uh, attached to joe as well through the attack swerve gunning for joe as well do you see that as a possibility you could um not as always like the biggest fan of like the uh the three-way four-way direction um but it's it's a possibility certainly If, right. if you're holding off for for that long uh, to to get to them, because it, it's very tough to book Hangman and and Swerve in a third match. Like, w- w- mm-hmm. what do you do? What do you do there? Add some Samoa Joe. Yeah, maybe that's the answer. All right. On that note, we will go. If you have any super chats, feel free to submit them, and we will go to forum.postwrestling.com and get your thoughts on tonight's dynamite. Let's first of all go to some super chats here, Andy. Sends our first super chat of the year, 100 rupees from Andy B, who will actually be a future edition of Postmark. So stay tuned for that this month. He says, how would you guys plot out the Rock Reigns Cody stuff? What are five to six other matches you would like to see at the main at the mains? I guess he means manias. 
terrific yeah. dynamite. Five I mean, to six other matches you, for me. Yeah, I mean, we're, we're not we're not booking the show here. Um, yeah, I, I think we kind of went went through all of this. I mean, there there seems to be like a lot of fervor towards like the, the idea of doing doing Rock and Reigns in in February as opposed to WrestleMania. I. I don't know. I, I think like there are certainly arguments to make for February when you look at the fact that, you know, we talked about it uh, today, myself and Brandon, about, you know, one of the big areas that they want to exploit is these big site fees. And I mean, they could go to February and put this blockbuster match there, which is going to, you know, greatly enhance the business that it's going to draw and and bring to the the local economy that they can say, hey, look at look at the difference that we can make. Now you're also going with the biggest match you probably have at your disposal that cannot be easily replicated elsewhere. Um, I, I just it, I have a hard time imagining that they that a rock match that they have wanted to do for years that it would not take precedence at, at WrestleMania. So I still lean towards that being the, the ultimate destination. And and maybe you get cute with can Reigns do two matches in one weekend or does, does Cody get pushed off and they just look at that as a challenge to keep this fresh, like this, this never ending story for Cody Rhodes. I, I also think though, the big X factor in all of this is Dwayne Johnson's schedule. You know, we we yeah. don't exactly know what that is, and it it could be possible that the only availability he has would be in February for that show, and not WrestleMania weekend. Um, so that kind of you know might give them more reason to to push this for that. So it's it, it is really hard to plot out the entire story without knowing what some of those limitations were. Now, if everybody was available, if everybody was free for every show. I think you have to end the story with Cody beating Roman Reigns. And I think it has to end this year. So that would be my my, my night two main event. Um, I would do The Rock versus Roman Reigns night one. Um, I think it's a huge match. You still get the value out of WrestleMania. You do your best to build Cody versus Rock just to kind of, you know, show people, hey, like this is this is a possible outcome. It's, and it's also a big match. Um, but... As a night one main event, Rock versus Reigns, I think would be ideal. Uh, and then night two, Cody gets Roman. Mm. But um, whatever, Punk and Rollins, you can put you know elsewhere on the card. Not a big deal. Or have that be Australia. Punk and Rollins in Australia. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, it, it looks like. But they Australia need WrestleMania matches. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, all right. Um, there you go. I, I would say, in terms of like those, look to be your key matches. I, I think Becky Lynch going for Rhea Ripley's title it would seem like the time to do mm-hmm. that. Uh, do that program. The SmackDown Women's title seems more like that is up in the air of where you could go with um, EO Sky if if EO Sky holds on to the title that that long uh, until Re- WrestleMania. If you decide to to flip it elsewhere, I think that's more. Um, where we we could see some, something come out of. I don't know if the challenger jumps out at you, like the idea of like a, a Bailey breakup. Um, I'm sure like the Charlotte injury threw a lot of, uh, threw a monkey wrench into those plans as well. Jimmy and Jay Uso, I think that WrestleMania is the time to do that, that you have kept them separate all, all along. And that can be one direction. And I'm really interested to see what they do with Solo Sokoa, who they have protected to a great degree had John Cena put over in a huge way at the last Saudi Arabia show. And how is he figured in 
if at all, for a big match? Is he sort of just going to be the muscle behind Roman leading into WrestleMania, or will he have something of his own to mm-hmm. really sink his teeth into and have program-wise? I don't want to book the whole um, card. Right no, now, let's so. let's battle royal. Who would you put in the uh, <laughs> in the uh, battle royal yeah. on the pre-show? Um, mm-hmm. But there you go. Those are some uh, programs that w- would seem possible. We got a Jake Allenar who sends five dollars to say, "I watched the Noah card today and I enjoy Keno being the top guy right now. Looks right out of an anime and has the perfect music. Great in ring talent." Yeah, so his next uh, defense is going to be against Go Shiozaki, and Go comes in and challenges him for the GHC title, and Keno says, "No, no." He turns him down, but he says, "I will says put Keno. the title up on the line." He says, "Ken, no." Uh, because Go's uh, trademark is I am Noah. So he's got to put up his title of I am Noah. And if he loses, he can't be called that anymore. Now Keno wow. will be I am Noah. So it's like he's it's title versus nickname. Well, that's always good to have, I suppose. You know, if you have a, 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 a that's why you should give yourself a really good nickname, you know, when you're starting out your career, because you can always put that up for a title shot if you're in a pinch. So if Roman Reigns, when he loses his title, he still can be tribal chief, right? And that, yeah. that's, that's the real title. Oh, yes, yes, yes. Mm-hmm. All right. Um, let's go to the forum. Anthony from Melbourne writes in, right? Rare occasion where I'm off work due to holidays to watch live. If you haven't covered it already, how do you feel about Wardlow's position? In the, yeah, we went over Wardlow's uh, spot in the, in, the, in the kingdom. His character already appears to be the start of a rehash of Killswitch's current story, which is somewhat a rehash of Wardlow's original story with MJF. Yes, all the points we hit. They also didn't do much to establish Wardlow's motivation to unite with the kingdom. I heard that Sean Spears was meant to be in the group, so maybe they originally wanted to make a bigger connection from the former Pinnacle members. That Takeshi the Darby match was great, but Darby's insane. I mean, on the Wardlow front, I mean, he's already told you what he wants to do to MJF. He wants to ruin MJF's life. And I haven't gone through all of his... um prior promos in the lead up to this reveal but i would imagine they every single one of his promos was i'm coming for you mjf i'm going to ruin your life i mean every like uh, i think it made perfect sense that he was in the group Mm -hmm. uh and this was the easiest way for him to do it rather than doing it on his own let's go to saeed from vancouver who says i'm happy new year to the post family hope everybody has a wonderful year thank you saeed Show was filled with great matches, but my favorite was hands down Takeshita and Darby. Still early, but could be a contender for match of the year in my eyes. It won't, it's, according to John. We'll, we'll see if it's match of the week. Okay. It's yeah. debatable uh, if you saw the Noah card, and we're about to see the Dome mm. show tomorrow. So, yeah, it's, <laughs> I don't know about that, folks. Match of the day. Okay. Can we at least award it that? Um, well, the stardom show just started. Um, but yeah. <laughs> Mayu Iwatani okay. and uh, Shuri are probably going to take place actually after midnight Eastern. So, oh god, um, all right. It probably has match t- of the day. I, I will give them that. Okay. After tonight, Takeshi is going to have Sornies and Darby. Well, it's Darby. Diana got a great reaction in her hometown. Her versus Mariah is going to good. Is going to be good. Be good leading into her versus Tony down the road. I totally thought they'd have Deanna go after Julia Hart after leaving Tony open for Mercedes or Mariah, but we shall see how this all plays out. Brian from New Jersey, but not at the Prudential Center. Deanna Prazo joining the company was really nice, but an actual champ from New Jersey, even nicer. 
A lot of good wrestling tonight with Takeshita and Allen being especially wild. Undisputed Kingdom is a reductive stable name, but I really like Bullet Club Gold and Acclaimed coming after them. World champion Samoa Joe remained a talking point in the show, though I wish he was there live. Good energy in the closing angle, though Hangman looking to get a win over Swerve when Swerve is on a path towards the world title is tricky. I could see Joe taking on both of them in separate matches down the line. At separate matches or the three-way, like I, I wouldn't dismiss that. Um, that's Andrew problem. from Cape Andrew from Cape Breton says, really good episode tonight. Felt like they were trying to get more established AEW talent on the show more than anything. It felt like there were a lot of new directions tonight. Things seemed fresh. Plus, no Jericho, so maybe they learned their lesson from the pay-per-view. One highlight for me was the women's match. Mariah is good, but I was impressed with Queen Amanada, and I hope she gets the all-elite graphics soon. Those two had great chemistry. All the matches were great, though. I will say that the amount of titles is a bit silly at this point. Cool. No, more titles. You need more titles. They're not getting, they're not limiting any titles. I mean, I suppose this triple crown is sort of like, re- it's not even reducing any because you started off with the ROH championship. Now you've, all you've done is add two more titles on top of that. So they're not really shrinking it at all. Jordan from the Bronx is our last word of the night. This was simply a great show from top to bottom. It felt like a season premiere with debuts, re-debuts, and new established arcs are taking shape. The matches didn't have the noticeable interference or ref incompetence of the past. If this is what the C2 was hoping to establish, I'm here for it. I'm not entirely sold on the Undisputed Kingdom, but willing to give it a chance to flesh out. Takeshita got a huge win that I hope doesn't have. To, I hope he doesn't have to give it back to Sting next week. Mariah May and Queen Amanada was a fun match. Diana was not the debut I was anticipating, but a welcome addition to the division. Swerve and Hangman has the potential to be a company-defining rivalry. They can orbit each other off and on for years to come, and I would not get tired of it. Um, I mean, Sting ain't losing before Revolution, so I mean, so, so, someone who's well, taking the pin on the other side. Well, it's a. Takeshita or Hobbs, one of one of them is losing. I mean, maybe maybe Darby pins Takeshita and they can continue. So, are we suggesting that a Darby pinfall loss would also be a Sting loss? I mean, they, like, they, they at twenty five and oh, like these are all tag matches he's been in. So, yeah, yeah, true. Hmm. Okay, he hasn't had a singles match this whole time. So, I wonder if not- they'll break that streak, like on route to his last match. You know, like you could still claim that Sting has never been pinned. You know, throughout this entire run, but. I don't know. I I I I don't know if I want Takeshi to losing after this match. Well, it's uh, we're, we're starting to get to that time where we're going to start to need to shoot the angle for this mm-hmm. this match. Like we're two months away, and I mean maybe it's going to be involving the Don Callis family in some way. Like you do get some angle coming out of this next week or something. I mean, if there's a reason for them to lose in some dramatic fashion um if it sets up the match like that's that's one way to go but um yeah we're, we're starting to get to what are you suggesting the match be i mean what what are you i just personally looking at stan i don't know if the singles route is is the way to go for the sting retirement i think it should be a, at minimum a tag yeah i mean if 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 listen if if the guy was i don't know 30 years younger and and having his retirement sting versus darby would be the way to perfectly sort of tie up the story i that's not happening that's a bar far too high even for maybe a sting of 10 years ago um so yeah tag is probably what best but is is what a, a takeshita hobbs well they're already doing the match so where, how much further can you go with this team well, I'm just I'm just throwing it out there. Like, if could it be stuff. could it be Will Osprey? He'll, he'll be making his debut at Revolution. Sting and Will Osprey. Well, in a tag team setting, if we're talking uh, about the Callis family, 
I don't know about that one. <laughs> well, why not? Um, I mean, it would it would, it would be odd. Uh, it would be odd to see Sting and Osprey. That's, Isn't that's, any more odd than Sting in any of these pairings that we've seen? Yeah. I mean, if if the man had not passed away, I mean, this would have been the time for New Jack to come into AEW. Well, Osprey and New Jack versus Sting and Darby and Orange. Sting. Yes, that would have been the dream match. Okay, that's <laughs> how I would have ended this. Okay, the music blaring it all throughout the crazy. Greensboro Coliseum. Yeah. All right. Well, that's uh, that's all to come in the uh, in the coming months. Uh, but we are going to be back on Thursday, three p.m. Eastern time. Join postwrestlingcafe.com all levels will have access to that show live with bruce lord joining us and then available to download after the fact on the cafe feed and then we're back on friday we're gonna have a new mcu later dropping with wh park and rich fan reviewing the remaining episodes of season two of what if friday night we've got rewind to smackdown on saturday wh park and karen peterson are going to be presenting a special edition of post pro res covering New Year Dash and all the the stories and angles coming out of Wrestle Kingdom. We've got Collision Course on Saturday night. And then on Sunday, it is the best and worst of 2023 show live at 8 p.m. Eastern again at postwrestlingcafe.com. So, Way, I will talk to you in a couple of hours. And goodbye, everyone. Chat with you after Wrestle Kingdom.